Okay, our scripture, our theme for the month of December, it's not December yet, it's November. I'm rushing ahead a couple weeks, but we're going to wait. Our Christian discipleship class theme for the month of November is, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. And our scripture theme is Psalm 136, but just verses 1 through 3. And we are going to read, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods. Louder, please. Let's start over. Verse 1. Did everybody bring a Bible? If not, it's right at the top of your page if you got a handout. Okay, let's read it loud. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalms 136, verses 1 through 3. You may be seated. So November is set aside in America as the month of giving thanks. If you're on Facebook, then perhaps you have seen that people have taken this 30-day thing, challenge, if you will, of posting one thing a day in no particular order of I am thankful for. And then they'll list different things and why they're thankful for that. could be as silly as one person that we all know posted a skeleton sitting on a park bench and she was thankful for her heat. I mean, her air conditioning and the heat of where she's living. So, you know, that was sister miller living in louisiana and she's thankful for her air conditioning and then she's also thankful for the serious things too that she's naming off one by one but it's the month um that we set aside for thanksgiving and we'll get to that in a minute but sadly these days we see fewer and fewer people that have a spirit a true spirit of thankfulness we live in a time of Why should I be thankful when life isn't how I want it? If you knew how my life was, you wouldn't even expect me to be grateful for it. People talk like I should just take my life and be done with it. If you knew how crummy my life was, why should I love a God that gives me a life like this? Why should I serve a God that We live in a time of entitlement. The world owes me. I'm going to take the system for all it's worth. I maybe don't, but I will. If I can get it, it's mine. I'm taking it. If I can qualify for it, I'm going to get it. I maybe didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, but I'm getting it. That's entitlement. We live in a time of self-centered people pure narcissism it's all about numero uno i want to be the first one in the line i want to get the biggest piece of the pie thanksgiving is coming i want the biggest slice of the pumpkin pie i want to go first through the line because you might get all the turkey i mean everything is about me I was in line the other day at Sam's Club, and God forbid I had the audacity 
to separate my order because I had personal items that by law I need to pay taxes on. And then I had three items that by law the church does not need to pay taxes on. So I put a bar, once I got them up on the little belt, I put a bar between them. This man was coming up behind me, and he went, "Ah!" and went and switched aisles. I mean, it was all about him. I was going to hold him up by two and a half seconds by doing two transactions. It was all about him. You know, maybe God was trying to spare him from getting out, and somebody was going to, as he backed out of his parking spot, ram the back of his car. I don't know. But really, it wasn't about you, sir. I was trying to be legal. If I'd have known your time was that important, I'd have let you go first, really. I mean, life isn't about me. There's a book by by Max Licato. It's not about me. Get it. Read it. Really, life is not about you. It's all about him. Anyway, everybody's about what's in it for me. It's all about me. Everyone thinks they deserve the biggest and the best. And it starts at little kids. We do it to them, unfortunately. What do you want for Christmas? And that's fine to a point. But people run up their credit cards and right after we tell them to be thankful in November, then we go overboard with everything else in December. So even us as born-again Christians sometimes fail to realize that we have so much to be thankful for. Did you wake up this morning and say, thank you, Jesus, that you gave me lungs and I can breathe through them this morning? There was somebody laying in ICU today that had to have a ventilator to help them breathe. I really did. I reminded myself this morning when I woke up, thank you, Jesus, that my lungs are functioning and I could breathe on my own today. And as I swung my legs out of bed, thank you, Jesus, that a nurse did not have to come and swing my legs out. Thank you, Jesus, that I could stand up on my own. Thank you, Jesus, that my house didn't burn down last night. Thank you, Jesus that I even woke up on my own this morning. Well, actually, that was kind of disappointing. I would have rather been there than here, but not that I didn't want to see you all, but to be absent from the body, I would have been present with Christ, and hopefully you all would have been having a good time at my whatever. I don't want a funeral. I just want a barbecue, and it's kind of cold out there, so maybe that's why I didn't die last night. You couldn't have had a barbecue. So anyway, um, but stop and think and consider for a minute the Jews in the concentration camps. I can't imagine finding anything to be thankful for if I was in a concentration camp. But yet many of them did. It was their hope. Do you know why we as born-again Christians drag around like we do? Why we don't stand up and clap and jump and shout because we've lost our gratitude. We have it too good. They found reasons to be grateful, 
to help them focus on God, to get them through the heinous situations that they were facing. Because otherwise they'd have given up and died. We die spiritually when we don't find a reason to be thankful. If it's nothing more than I could stand up this morning and put my own clothes on, I may not be able to remember everything like I once did, but thank you, Jesus. My strength may not be what it was when I was 20, but thank you, Jesus, that it's not like it's going to be if I live to be 90. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, help me. And then consider this great celebration that we think of as Thanksgiving. Wow, what a holiday. Those Puritans had it made. No, they did not. They suffered horrible, horrible, difficult persecutions in England and then in Holland. They sold all they had and they were swindled while they were selling it, taken great advantage of. They risked coming to this great country that was then called America. They experienced severe difficulties on their voyage over here. They were shoved onto ships, put into little horrible living conditions, dirty, filthy, so filthy that many of them died on the voyage coming over. They didn't have enough food. They could only bring, my relatives have a little trunk, It wasn't much bigger than the top of this podium. And that's what they brought over. That's all they could bring with them. My toothbrush takes up more space. My hand carry onto the airplanes when I travel takes up more than what they brought. Everything. And then a lot of that they had to throw overboard. And their relatives die. I have relatives that died on the ship and they had to throw them overboard. Not the Puritans, but later when they came over. They landed in the wrong location where they found no food, no place to live. And then the Indians, the Native Americans, as they're now politically correct called, because of misunderstandings, came, and then they faced a harsh winter that they were not used to, no place to live, no food, and that's what welcomed them in this great country that they came to. Of course they started to get downhearted, downtrodden, but they took what little food they had left, and they decided we better get it right, and they made the holiday that we now know is Thanksgiving, and they gave thanks to the God that had spared them, and they got their attitude right, and they developed an attitude of gratitude. And it was only then that they put their hand to the plow and built places to live and started to work together in unity. An attitude of gratitude changes us. Both of these two groups of people, the Jews and the Puritans, thrived, not merely survived, not barely eked it out day to day. Oh, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. When they realized their need to be grateful, to give 
thanks. Not because life was good. Not because they'd received their deliverance. They were still stuck in the same crummy, rotten, disillusioned situations. But they decided to focus on God. And they had a heart change. You know, there's a lot of encouraging stories in the Bible. I mean, you can flip through your Bible and find lots of encouraging stories. But then there's some sad ones, too. And to me, just personally, one of the saddest stories is found in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And it's the story of those ten that came and Jesus healed them. Well, Sister Parker, what's so sad about being healed? Nothing, I guess, except sometimes we're satisfied with so little from God. But verse 17 shows me what's so sad about this, or what to me is the sad part of this story, because there was one that came back and gave God thanks. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Verse 19, and he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now to me, that's the encouraging part. It tells me if I'm one of the one, I'll be made whole. But to me, it's so sad because all ten had the same opportunity presented to them. If they all would have had an attitude of gratitude, looked down and seen that they were cleansed, Jesus told them, go, show yourself to the priest. If they would have looked down and seen, whoa, wait a minute, we're cleansed, and run back to Jesus, they all would have been made whole. And then go show yourself to the priest. They all had the same opportunity, but only one took advantage of the opportunity. Only one had the heart change. Only one got the full blessing of God. That's the difference of thankfulness. Now, we could stop right here and have coffee breaks from now until December. If we would just grasp that concept. Thankfulness. Thankfulness changes us. Then that's what we're going to spend driving it home the next three Sundays talking about. How thankfulness changes me. Because it's so easy to get wrapped up in life. One of Corrie Ten Booms, who was one of the Jews in a concentration camp, one of her quotes was, If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll just make you busy. And I got to thinking about that. One of the reasons he'll make you busy is because he'll make you so busy that you forget to be thankful. And that's where we're all at, folks. I get so busy 
that I forget to slow down and be thankful. I get so busy that I forget to smell, stop and smell the roses. I forget to enjoy the cup of coffee I'm drinking. I forget to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. It's all about me. It's not about me. It's about everybody else, and it's surely all about him. An attitude of gratitude. What does it do in my life? The story, the example of the Jews in the concentration camp, the Puritans, the story from Luke, all three show us what an attitude of gratitude does. It changes us. It takes us from bitter to better. It takes us from survival to victory. It takes us from mere healing. Healing is fine. But I want to be made whole. I want a satisfaction so deep in my spirit that nothing takes it from me. When the winds blow, I don't even shake in the, in the wind. I want to be so rock solid that I give him thanks no matter what. All ten had the opportunity, but only one took advantage. So what is gratitude? Gratitude is the quality of being thankful, readiness to show appreciation for and return kindness. It's the quality of being thankful and returning kindness. For us born-again believers, gratitude is the pure, appropriate response, your reasonable service, if you will, Scripture For the saving and keeping grace of God, its opposite is ingratitude. And it can be deceptively dangerous in our lives and relationships. I don't like unthankful people. There's some people that I will, and maybe this makes me really wrong, but there's some people that I will not go out of my way to do things for. Because they are so ungrateful. No matter what you do for giving is my love language. In case you haven't learned that about me since 2009, I will give, 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 give. I mean, I will give and give again. And if you don't get from me, perhaps you need to check your attitude of gratitude. Because that means you probably don't say thank you when you get. It probably means that when I give you the yellow, you wanted the blue. And you've expressed that to me. And you do that about four or five times to me, I'm done. I am done. Because you are an ungrateful servant. Not unfaithful. Well, probably that too because they go hand in hand. And we will talk about that in a little bit. But I don't have, come on in, greeter, greeter woman. I don't have much time for ungratefulness. I just don't. So, and then let's talk about what is an attitude. Oh, I don't have that slide up there. Sorry about that. We'll stick to gratitude. What is an attitude? Normally, when we think about an attitude, We think of it as a, 
quote, negative. And you know I don't like that word negative because it's not a Bible term. But what is an attitude? We think of it as a, like, quote, negative thing. She's got an attitude about her. You need to get your attitude right. And we get that little bit of a snap in the neck in there going on, right? Because then we get an attitude. Did you get a paper for him? Thanks. And so an attitude, though, is defined by Webster as a mental position with regard to a face or state a feeling or emotion toward a fact or state. The first one is normally a helpful or positive feeling, while the second is normally considered a negative. And then there is the optimistic attitude. You know that person that can always see the pie in the sky? And according to Merriam-Webster, our attitude actually includes our body. That is, the bodily state of readiness to respond in a characteristic way to a stimulus. Now, to me, as a Christian, I found that interesting. Because to me, I think that God wants to see me doing a lot more of that bodily thanks. I'm going to clap my hands. I'm going to jump for joy. I'm going to run. I'm going to shout. I'm going to, oh, but you just don't know, Sister Parker, how I feel. I don't think God really cares how I feel. I am commanded, I am told in his word to do certain things. There's a bodily response. Attitude can be a negative or hostile state of mind. It's all up to how my response is. As with all actions and reactions and responses, my attitude is my choice. Your attitude is your choice. God has given me the freedom of choice. We may not control the things around us, but as I always taught my children, there's only one thing in life you do control, yourself. My response to everything is my attitude. So why? Why choose gratitude over ingratitude? And it is a choice. Quite simply, because we are commanded by God. Gratitude is a matter of obedience. Oh, wouldn't it be a wonderful, sunshiny, rosy, wonderful world if that was reason enough? Unfortunately, even in a born-again church, it does not seem to be enough. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. That's scripture. I wish it was enough. I wish the reason didn't have to be that gratitude would give me a brighter smile, fresher breath, make, make us taller, make us shorter, make us look better, make us thinner, make us heavier, make us... You know, have a better wardrobe, make my skirt fit better, make my top, you know, make me more buff if I'm a guy, make me, you know, improve my debt to income ratio, make my bank account look better, improve all my dysfunctional relationships, make my children obedient, make my grades on my test better, make my pay raise stretch further, make my, just because it's obedience. God told me, so I will do it. God told me to give thanks, so I will give thanks. Period. End of sentence. That's reason enough. Let's go have coffee. 
oh, didn't work before, so it won't work now. No, just because never worked, didn't work in the Garden of Eden, doesn't work in the year 2017. And it's not like he just told us one time. There's 22 times just in the Psalms. Praise him, praise him, praise him. Give thanks unto the Lord. Probably more than that. That was just a brief check. Praise him on the high-sounding symbols. Praise him in the, I didn't even count all those. Homework, check them out. Lift your hands unto the Lord. I didn't count those. Psalms 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform your vows to the Most High. It's a vow to praise him. Thank him. Psalm 105, 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Psalms are filled with exhortations to thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonders of wondrous works to the children of God. I will praise him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Unfortunately, you know why I taught, I taught this to the salt class. Do you know why, perhaps, why, this is theology by Pam Parker, why we don't praise him? Fully as he should be praised. Because we don't really see ourselves as marvelous. Have you ever peeked in the first room downstairs on the whiteboard? It's still up there. Marvelous are thy works. I told the salt, the youth, look yourself in the mirror every morning and say, I am marvelous. Thank him for how he made you. It's not, I'm not on an ego trip. Marvelous are thy works. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I can't praise God correctly to the point that he's worthy of until I accept how he made me. I went driving down when I went to Manitowoc and I saw the beautiful trees and I said, Oh God, they are so beautiful. Your majestic handiwork. He said, you're more beautiful than those to me. And pretty soon the snow will start falling and I'll go, whoa. Oh, it's so beautiful. Every snowflake is unique and different. You're different than me. There's not another one of you and there's not another one of me. Marvelous are his works. Tell yourself that every morning. Praise him differently. Thank him for how he made you. Thank you, Jesus, that you care enough to put just the right things in my life to bless me and to keep me. Marvelous are thy works. The attitude of gratitude isn't just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Just a sample of it is Colossians. It's peppered all through there. Chapter 1, verse 3, giving thanks to God our Father. 2, verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 4, verse 2, devoting themselves to prayer, watching, watching the same in thanksgiving. We'll get into that a little bit more in a little bit, or next week one. Then, as if summing up the whole idea, idea Paul seals it with one comprehensive, all-conclusive statement. Colossians three seventeen, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Now, we pray in Jesus' name. Do we thank in Jesus' name? I thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you for blessing me in Jesus' name. Thank you for smiling this morning in Jesus' name. So if you're sitting down to dinner, be thankful. If you're going to bed, be thankful. If you're coming out from underneath of a cold, two-week cold, coughing your, you know, if you're still coughing, be thankful in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you if you're paying your bills. Oh, I had to write out checks this week. Not just personal checks. I had to do, I mean, whoa. I felt like I was just glued to my office seat this week. It was so bad. I even cleaned my office. I thought maybe that will clear my mind. I called my daughter and I said, you need to come back. We need to gut this office out again and start over. Instead, I walked outside my office and I looked in at it. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that I have an office. Thank you, Jesus, that I bought this foo-foo desk. Thank you, Jesus, that you will clear my mind and help me be able to work in all this disaster of piles all over because you know that that's how I normally function. Thank you, Jesus, for seven of these accounts that I need to get taken care of. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, you are doing it all, and I thank you, Jesus, that it's all done by faith. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No matter what you're doing, thank him. Driving to work, changing the light bulb, setting the ADT alarm off when you forget that you turned it on. Thank you, Jesus, as you're running up the steps three times. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Be thankful. God has commanded it. It doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. I need to give him thanks. I find myself getting frustrated when I don't give him thanks. When I give him thanks, the things aren't important. And then things run smoothly. It's not about the things. It's not about the stuff. It's about him. Perhaps he sends the frustrations to remind me that I'm not thinking about him. Another reason why I'm able to be, to be thankful and have an attitude of gratitude is simply because he's worthy. It's not about how good life is going at the moment. Sometimes life isn't good. If life was perfect, I might think I don't need him. I mean, really, when is his strength made perfect? I need to be reminded real often that I really do need you, Jesus. (laughs) Because I might have a tendency to think I can go it on my own. And I don't ever want to make that mistake. Because without him, I will fall flat on my face. I know I can do nothing without him, but with him I can do everything. So who is our God that he is so worthy? When we are grateful, we realize who our God is. 
He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the creator of all things. All things. There was nothing created that he didn't make. I have spent weeks, days, getting some things made. God just had to speak it, and it happened. And it's still running. Who but my God could create the water, speak the land into existence, and then tell the water, oh, yeah, and by the way, you can come this far and no further. And thousands, eons of years later, it's still going that far and no further. Unless he goes, okay, flood them for right now because they need to learn a lesson. Who but my God? Who but my God would put the stars, the moon, everything up in the sky? The sun, as far as I know, has always come up and gone down, come up and it's always circled in the same direction. It's always done the same thing year after year, day after day after day after day. It's never changed except for that one time that he said, whoa, hold up a minute. Okay, now you can go again. Who but my God? Big G. Not little G. He's the creator of all things. The ruler. The great I am. The way, the truth, the life, the door. You, every one of you had to walk through a door to get in here today. He is the door. No one can get into heaven but by going through him. He's the all in all, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's our Savior, our Lord, our Master. He is the soon coming King. And if that's not enough, just think about all that he's done for you. And all that he does and all that he's going to do. He left his throne in heaven to come so that someday I can go be with him in heaven. I know people that won't cross the street to come visit me. And their houses and all that. But yet he left glory to come and walk on this earth and die on a cross, a horrible death, so that I can go be with him. And I didn't even know him and love him. I was in sin. He saved me. He delivered me. He keeps me. He rescues me from my sin. He keeps me from making horrible mistakes even today. He brought me out of darkness. He saves me from hopelessness. He gives me peace every day. He supplies my needs, a whole lot of my wants. He gives me peace. He calms my storms, gives me peace of mind. You know, there's an old song that says, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. I thank God for saving me. You know, I don't understand 
And I'm not casting stones. Truly, I'm not. Really, I'm not. So please don't take offense. But I don't know. With all that God's done for me, I just don't know how I could ever not praise him. I don't know how I could just sit and not dance. I don't know how I could just sit and complacently not clap my hands. I don't know how when people would have to say, come on, praise him, praise him, and do rah, rah, ree. I I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't get it. And beyond that, there's a lot of things that I say this about. I don't want to get it. Because when I get it, that makes it means that it makes sense. And if it makes sense, it means that then I may start to be that way. I don't ever want to not clap my hands and dance for joy and worship before my God. I don't ever want to not Worship and thank him for what he's done for me. I don't ever want to not give him praise and thanks. That's just me. I want to be consumed with thanks. I want to dance before the Lord of Lords. I want to dance before my king. I want to be the one that they have to say, sit down. There's a story about a young man He was 16 years old, maybe 17, and he was a preacher that came to one of our family camps, and he told the story about how when he was in high school, he was telling his friend about, you need to come to church with me, you need to come to church with me, you need to come to church with me, and finally, after like seven months of school, finally, the kid finally says, I'll come to church with you, I'll come Sunday, I'll come tomorrow with you just to get you off my back. And so he's like, oh, good, I'll pick you up at 9 o'clock. And all the way home he kept praying, oh, please, God, don't let Sister Sally be there tomorrow. Please, God, I don't want her to die, but just make her so sick that she can't be there tomorrow, okay? Because Sister Sally was one of those. I mean, she worshipped. And she danced, and I mean, they would barely get their fingers over the keyboard, and she'd start going. And she would go, and she would run and dance and fling her bobby pins out of her hair. And she would, I mean, she went, and he, please, God, just, you know, just make her sick so that she just can't come tomorrow morning. She could come tomorrow night, but just not tomorrow morning, okay, God? Because, you know, he's not used to it. And Well, picked his friend up, got to church, and Sister Sally wasn't sick. She was there. And he's like, okay, God, just please let her maybe have a little bit. You know, she's got arthritis, so maybe it can be bothering her just a little bit. Not so much that she can't, but just a little bit. Well, no, her arthritis was fine that day. And so the music started, and she, he made sure he sat on the other side. They had the three section, you know. He sat on the other side. Well, Sister Sally, music started. She jumped up. Well, she didn't stay in her aisle. She ran around, and she got right next, and she started dancing and worshiping. And, and, and this kid is just sitting there. His eyeballs are big, and he's staring at Sally all through the worship, and he's just staring and staring and staring. Service went on, and he's thinking, oh, great. He will never come back again. Service is over. He takes his friend home. The friend leans over, and he says, 
thanks for taking me today. I had an interesting time. It was it was good. And he said, yeah, I know. And he says, you know, it's not that I will never come back. He said, but I do want to tell you one thing. He said, when I decide to come back, I just want you to know that if I ever do decide to get religion, I want what that lady got, not what you got. So I want you to ask yourself, will people want what you got? Do they see that you're thankful? Because you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. Can they read your thanks? Remember, the last time I taught was your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Romans 1 verse 21 says, because that when they knew God, anybody in here know God? Oh, we got some hands not up. That's kind of scary. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. That scripture says tons. First of all, they knew God. I think everybody's raising their hands that they know God. I hope. If not, Bible study time. This afternoon, we can get to know God. I'll be delighted to. I love Bible study. I love the Word of God. I love God. I love His Word. I love to introduce people to God. He's a good friend. So, they knew Him. But they didn't glorify him. Now I know my husband. I probably know him better than anybody in this room. And I will brag on him till the sun sets. As I should. You're right. If any, if any wife doesn't brag on her husband, she's crazy. And if any man doesn't brag on his wife, he's crazy. If you don't brag on your kids, you're crazy. If you don't brag on... Whatever, you're crazy. If you love something, you brag on it. Well, okay, we need another lesson on that one. Okay. Boy, we could do Bible studies from discipleship classes from now. Just be taking note of all these, Brother DeMuth. We'll just do lessons. Good deal. We, we've got them all. So, but they didn't glorify him as God. As God. Big G. He's it. He's all that. God, period, end of sentence. There is none else. He's it. You're not, he is. Your job's not, he is. Your kids aren't, he is. Your house isn't, he is. Your car's not, he is. Your dog's not, he is. Your cat's not, he is. Your wardrobe's not, he is. Your whatever's not, he is. 
Okay, we got that settled. But they didn't glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful. They became vain in their own imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. God will turn you over to a reprobate mind. He'll let you go your own way. This verse lets me know that if I fail to thank God, I stand in danger of losing my love for him. I stand in danger of falling out of love with him. Love is not an emotion. It's an action verb. I have to keep it active. I have to do my part. He's done his part. I have to do my part. And that's frightening to me that I could lose my love for a God, the God, who's already done everything for me. It's what happens all the time in relationships. We take the person for granted. In a marriage, we say, I do, and then we don't. I said, do you boast on the person? Some looked at me like, what? You know, there's that old Norwegian joke. Ole told Lena once, I love you. Why would I have to keep telling her? Did she forget? She probably did. Lena was busy taking care of all the things that Ole thought she should be doing. There you go, Brother Richard. That's, but that's what happens in marriages. That's what happens with our children who act out. They're just trying to get our attention. That's what happens with anything. The bread molds in the cupboard because we forget about it. You start to take it for granted, and then it just drifts away. Well, we drift away from God. It happens all the time. Why do we think that church members are not here? Other things start to to separate them from God. God never moves. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always there with an outstretched hand. It's us that moves away from him. And we do it when we stop seeing him as God. We stop praising. We stop praising him when you start start losing your praise your thankfulness you start losing out with god so we're going to stop there and we will pick up next week